Our series is 2020, and it carries with it the idea of being able to see clearly what lies ahead. And it's based on a sermon that I brought to you back in May called Reasons Versus Purpose. And in that message, we laid out how that you can choose to live your life either looking for the reasons why bad things happen, or you can look at God's purpose within it. And one thing that we cleared up is that there is a difference between reasons and purpose. Why that's so important is a lot of people assume that God is the reason why everything happens, both good and bad. And when they look at the bad things that happen in our world, we're just experiencing a hurricane uh, in my home state of Texas, and we look at that, and if you assume God's the reason for everything, you'll look at the damage and the, the loss that happens in a scenario like that, and you say, why would God allow or do something like that? But in our message back in May, we talked about how that we live in a broken world, and God told human beings to follow him and to obey him, but they chose to go the other direction. And when, when they did, all kinds of bad things came into our world electively based on man's choices. And we said that all that stuff that happens is independent of God's wish. When you go back and look at God's wishes for our world, when he made Adam and Eve, he made them in a perfect world. He made them in perfect harmony. They had perfect sex. They had perfect relationship. They had everything they wanted in life. There was no sickness, no sorrow, no hurt, no abuse, none of that. So the way God made the world, that's the way he would want the world to be today. In fact, that's why we are told in the Lord's Prayer to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because his will isn't being done on earth. And so uh, in that message, we talked about how that even though God is not the reason why bad things happen, that God has the power, and we'll see this very clearly today, God has the power to interject purpose in there. He can take the events, the problems, the issues, the heartbreak. He can take all of those components and work in the midst of them, even though none of those were his wish, and he can bring about purpose. Today, however, I want to talk about uh, something that you won't hear about in a lot of modern churches, because we live in a very feel-good age, and we also live in an age of instant solutions. And we're accustomed to those, especially in these, in these days of technology. You know, um, I have a Oh, an Apple Watch, and even on the way in here, I was getting texts and emails from friends, the instant communication all around the country, and we're accustomed to that. We're, if we want to know something, we can get an instant answer. Answer, And, you know, even today, while I'm speaking, there are people watching all over the world instantly. There's no gap in time when back in the day, it would take, you know, days uh, to get a letter from here to Denver. You know, we live in an age of instant. Everything is instant. And so I think sometimes churches, especially churches maybe even like us, we can, sort of, we, can, we can sort of send forward the message that if you do X, God will do Y, and he'll do it instantly. And there's a problem with that. It's just not completely honest. And I want to deal honestly with that issue. You know, um, I, is it just me or is every road in this country under construction right now? I don't know, how many of you traveled travel this last summer? You know, so if I'm, if I'm going to Texas and I'm on I-35 and I see a sign in Oklahoma that says road construction two miles, I think I can live with that. You know, I've got two miles. I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm going to have to slow down. There could be heavy equipment. We could, you know, be restricted down to one lane, but two miles. Hey, who couldn't handle that? But suppose you got on the road and it said road construction, next 250 miles. That's going to be tough, Right? That's just going to adjust your day. It's going to adjust how you think. It's going to adjust your whole attitude toward the trip. And you're saying, you know what, I'm going to fly from now on until you go to the airport and then you try to fly and then you get, you know, then you'll say, I'm going to drive. Anybody else like that? I'm always saying stuff like that. Okay. Well, here's the thing. 
When we talk about reasons versus purpose, and I say to you that whatever your situation is, God can come along and bring about a purpose, we all sort of think, well, all right, I could have maybe two or three miles of, of under construction, but then God is going to come along and he's going to bring his purpose and everything's going to be okay. And I'm going to look back and say, well, I can see how that God was working in all that dysfunction. And now I'm okay because I see God's purpose. I think I need to ask the question today. In fact, when I was preparing for this series, I felt like this was one of the most important talks I was going to bring. What are you going to do when you don't see purpose for a long time? What are you going to do when you have to go through a long, protracted period of suffering and grief and dust storms in the desert where you don't see your future? All you can see is the bad reasons why bad things happen in your life. How do you keep going? How do you survive in the desert? I mean, there are just things that are going to happen in our lives, and it's going to be a long time. It's not, the cord's not going to resolve for a long time. You may go through a divorce. And you will suffer for years because of that. You may have something happen with one of your kids, or you may have a career problem that lasts for a long time. And you may struggle, not for weeks or, or months, you may struggle for years trying to figure out where God is in that. How do you survive in that kind of situation? Well, the character that you and I are going to look at is one of my favorite in the Bible. His name is Joshua. And there's a book that bears his name, but really, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, by the time you get to the book that bears his name, things are already beginning to open up. I want to take you back to the previous 40 years of Joshua's life. You'll find this in the book of Exodus, the book of Numbers, and the book of Deuteronomy. It's a story. And I just want to kind of share with you how Joshua found himself in a scenario that a lot of you find yourself in. And it's a scenario that goes like this. You're having to go through a protracted period of difficulty because of choices that somebody else made. That's what happened to Joshua. Real quick, let me give you the synopsis. Joshua is the aide-de-camp for the greatest leader in the history of mankind, a guy by the name of Moses. The reason I tell you he's the greatest leader in the history of the world, he took three and a half million people from a place called Egypt and brought them all the way to the very brink of the promised land. Listen, guys, you don't make any sudden moves with three and a half million people. And on top of that, he made that trip with probably, well, it's, you know, 3,499,000 that didn't want to go. So it was just a challenging thing. But anyway, his young aide-de-camp was Joshua. I don't think he was as great a leader as, as Moses, although he will lead Israel in its greatest generation of time. Now, what happened with Joshua goes like this. You know, it's an interesting thing. When you go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says that the trip should have taken about 11 days. For them to, to have gone from Egypt to the brink of the promised land should have taken about 11 days but it took 40 years. Now, you, just, you know instantly something went really wrong. I mean, if a trip's supposed to take 30 minutes and it winds up taking 15 hours, you know, you don't, you don't even have to know what, that, you have to know the specifics, you know something didn't go right. So this is a trip that should have taken 11 days and it took 40 years. Here's why it happened. The Israelites got up right up to the brink of Canaan. Moses had told them, this is the land, God has given it to us, it belongs to us, by the way, it still does. And God said, you know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you take this land. It's going to be yours forever. Just need to go. But the people were getting a little skittish about this. They pressured Moses to send spies over into the land. Now they said, have you ever dealt with people that they say the reason is one thing, but it's really something else? Maybe you're living with that right now. They said, we, we want to know what the best route is. We want to know where the produce is. We want to know what the soil is like. We want to know the best, you know, best way to go about this. And so Moses didn't really want to do this, but he went to God, and God said, all right, let the people have what they want. 
So Moses selected 12 spies, 12, it was a reconnaissance mission actually. He selected 12, one from each tribe, and he told them, go over and check out the land. Now here at New Spring, here's the big thing. He did not send them over there to determine if they were going to go. God had already said, you're going to go, and I'm going to take care of you. This is my will. This is my plan. But anyway, they went over there, and they looked at the land, and sure enough, it was everything God said it was. I mean, the, the produce in the land was extraordinary. In fact, they found one cluster of grapes that it took two men to carry on a pole. So all 12 of the, 12 of the spies came back, and, and they said they had a unified report on this. They said the land is exactly like God said it was. By the way, things will always be just like God said they are. And I don't care what the media says. I don't care what pop culture says. Stuff will always be like God says it is. And so they went over there and they said, the land is just like God said. It is really prodigious and, and fantastic. But the problem is we went over there and we saw there was these huge people. They're bigger than we are. And on top of that, the cities are walled. And you know what? We're going to go over there and we're going to get kicked. We're going to get destroyed. And 10 of the spies said, it is a land that chews people up. Well, that's very different from what God said. And they said, we're going to go over there and get killed. And they just got everybody all upset. In fact, the whole crowd, three and a half million of them were saying, we can't go. We wish we could go back to Egypt. Let's just get rid of Moses and pick another leader. And two of the spies, one of which was Joshua, the other was Caleb, they stood up to the crowd and said, wait a minute. God says we can do this. I don't care how big their giants are. Our God is bigger than their giants. We can go over there and we can do what God said we can do. You know what the people wanted to do? They wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. And I mean, God came along and God said, enough. Man, when God says enough, it's finished. And God said, I'll tell you what, nobody's going over into the land. You're going to have to wander in the wilderness until everybody over the age of 20 dies. Because the people, all the people are saying, oh, our children are going to die. And God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait till all you old people die and then those children, I'm going to take them over into the promised land. So they had to wander in circles in the desert for 40 years and punch holes in the desert until they buried all the older generation. And God said, here's the thing, though. There's only, there are only two people I'm going to let go who are going to be over the age of 20. I'm going to let Caleb go, and I'm going to let Joshua go. Oh, if I'm Joshua at that moment, it's like, fantastic. I can go. See y'all. God said I could go. I'm going to Canaan. Saw the grapes over there. I don't know exactly what God's going to do and how he's going to keep me going over here, but God said Caleb and I can go, so goodbye, everybody. I'm going. God said, well, wait a minute. Joshua, you and Caleb are going to get to go in 40 years. Yeah, how do you survive in the desert? When you got to wander in circles in the desert, burn up years of your life, and it wasn't your idea. I mean, I, I just was stunned by this as I got ready for this series. 40 years wandering in circles. I mean, here's the thing. Caleb most likely is burning up his years Probably, I'm going to guess he's somewhere around, or Joshua too, they're probably somewhere around 22, 25 years old. They're going to burn up their years, their most productive years, wandering in circles. It's not even their fault. How do you survive in a desert? Here's my question. When you don't know what you can't know, how do you function? See, here's the thing. When you don't know what you can't know, everything comes down to what you can know about God. See, that's the thing. When you're facing a scenario, when you're facing a situation in which there are so many answers that you don't have, everything comes down to what you can know about God. You know, in the 
salvation packet here at New Spring, there's a little book. And I've shared with you before how I wrote that book. I wrote it on the darkest day of my life. I wrote it on New Year's Eve, last day of 2010. And um, I was sick physically. I was losing weight inexplicably. I thought I was dying. Didn't think I was ever going to be able to come back. Wasn't able to think clear. And Mary Alice and I just had to get away. I mean, I was just, every day I was going down. It was like, I know this isn't feasible. It was like I was in a 24-hour constant panic attack. And I still remember, I still see myself sitting on the couch in that condo in Phoenix with my computer. I didn't know I was writing a book. I just thought, what do I know for sure? And I'll tell you right then, I didn't know hardly anything for sure. I sat there on that couch, and I remember I only know one thing for sure. I know Jesus saves. And suddenly I just began to write about salvation. You know what that became? That became the book that thousands of people have read. Is the first thing they've ever read after they got saved. We just had a request from a warden in a women's prison in Houston. I've never even been to this prison asking for a number of those books for women who had trusted Christ in their prison. See, here's the thing. If I look back on that experience, the reason why I was there, the reasons were all bad. But God had a purpose. But the only thing that helped me discover God's purpose was not in understanding or finding all the answers for the questions I had at that moment. It all came down to what I knew for sure. When I first started pastoring, I wasn't much over. I was in my late 20s here at New Spring. And you know how it is. Uh, if you've ever been a leader, you know that there are just young people that just want to follow you around. And when I first came here, there was a young man. He was a psychology major at Wichita State. Brilliant young man. And uh, his name was John. And then after he graduated from Wichita State, he said, I feel like God is calling me into ministry. He went to Dallas Seminary, which is one of the most challenging seminaries in the nation. He graduated from Dallas Seminary, came back. I married him and his wife, and he joined my staff. Ultimately, he would be a missionary to Zimbabwe, and now he's a pastor in North Carolina. But I remember after he'd served on my staff for a number of years, and then he went to Zimbabwe, he came back from Zimbabwe, and he was sitting in my office one day, and he said, you know, Mark, the most important thing I ever learned from you, I was kind of interested in finding out what that was. He said, I've watched you through the years, and when you get to a place when you don't know what to do, you'll always go back to what you know for sure. And guys, that is the only way to survive in the desert. Because many times you're not going to know what God's purpose is. You're not going to be able to see it yet. And if you try to guess or if you try to, if you try to figure it out on your own, a lot of times you'll wind up throwing down your confidence and faith and leaving church and leaving God and quitting, you know, quit reading your Bible because you won't be able to see it. So here's what I'm going to do for the next 20 minutes. I am going to take you on a Bible journey about what you can know about God when you're going through a protracted season in the desert. This is not going to be a sermon. This is going to be a Bible study. So if you have a Bible, you can look with me our electronic device, what would really be beneficial to you is just to be able to take some notes. If you have an electronic device or if you're old school like me, use a pen and paper. What's going to be really important is these verses that you can fall back on. To, when you go through a protracted period of time, this is what will keep you going in the desert. Okay, here we go. We're talking about what we can know about God when we don't know the future. Here's the first one. He knows me. He knows me. See, that's the thing. When you're going through a long series of suffering, isn't it true that you worry about being forgotten? Frankly, a lot of people will forget you when you're going through a difficult time. But the Bible says God knows me. Let me give you three verses of Scripture that each give us a different importance or view of how God knows us. Luke chapter 12, verse 6. The Bible says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Okay, what stands out to us from that text other than the fact that God knows us very well? Hairs of our head. In my case, that keeps God busy. It's always a declining balance. 
But think about that for just a moment. If God knows the number of hairs on your head, he is into details about you. I find that really interesting. God loves me, and because of that, he is into details. I remember when I met Mary Alice. We were in high school. She was a freshman. I was junior. And I still remember when we were first, you know, for all of you who've ever been in love, you know what it's like when you're having those first conversations. And what are you learning in those first conversations? Details, details. She's telling me about her mom and dad. She's telling me about her sisters. She's telling me about her family. You know what? Now that family is my family. But here's the thing. I went to a high school with 4,000 kids, and I talked to a lot of kids. I don't know anything about the rest of their families, their moms, their dads. I don't remember anything. Why was I interested in Mary Alice's? Because she was important to me, and details were important. That's big. God is so into you that he knows the details about your life. But then the second thing that Jesus talks about there is the fact that you're worth so much to God. See, sparrows are, sparrows are worth so much to God that one doesn't even fall out of a tree that God doesn't see. And yet God says, you're worth more than many sparrows. So two things come to me. When, I, when I'm in a desert, I know that God is checking out my details and that I'm very valuable to God. Okay, let's go further. Psalm 139.1. Oh, Lord, you know everything about me. You know when I sit or stand, and you know my every thought. It's huge to me. When God says he knows whether I sit or stand, what is he telling me? He's telling me that he knows about my body. Sitting and standing is a physical thing. So consequently, God is saying, Mark, I know about your body. How many of you are worried about your health today? No, I raise your hand, but how many of you are concerned about your health? concerned about some aspect of your body. God is saying, I know everything about your body, but for all of us who deal with an emotional disorder or we deal with depression or we deal with anxious thoughts, the Bible says he knows our thoughts. He knows those thoughts we let other people know. He knows those thoughts that we don't tell anybody else. He knows our thoughts. Now, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15 is the next of these. God said, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Now, when you're in elementary school, you write the name of your sweetheart on your hand with a pen. But you know what? If she brushes you off, you can brush her name off, right? <laughs> Man, you have somebody's name tattooed on the palm of your hand. That's tender skin. Somebody's name tattooed on the palm of your hand, that's really serious. And God says that he has his, our names tattooed on his hand. That means God is devoted to you. So let's you know, see what we've learned. We've learned that God knows about our details. He cares about our value because we're valuable to him. We saw that he knows everything about our body, he knows everything about our mind, and he's very devoted to us. So if you're going through a difficult season of time, here's the big thing. God knows you. He is watching you. Okay, here's the second one. I love this one. He directs our steps. In Psalm 37, verse 23, the Bible says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by their hand. Well, I love this, because, and again, you know, I could, I could say that in a literal term, God directs our steps, but steps here sort of indicates individual moves, choices, decisions. You and I make thousands and thousands of these in our lifetime. So when I talk about steps, you understand in a metaphorical sense what I'm talking about. The Bible says God directs our steps. Why is this big? Well, it's big for a couple of reasons to me. The first of these is we tend to look at our individual moves in life in two categories, inconsequential and determining. We say, you know, this is stuff that I do every day. It's just routine stuff. It really doesn't matter. And then these are the defining moments of my life where I have to make the ultimate decisions that will determine my destiny. 
But what we don't understand is every step is important to God. And isn't it true for all of us who have lived a lot of life that if we had not made a lot of those mundane day-by-day steps, we would not have been positioned to make those determining steps in our lives. And the Bible tells us that God determines our steps. Now, the second reason why this is so important to me, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise mine. I have made a lot of dumb steps in my life. I'm sure God doesn't take credit for those. But here's what I have learned. With God, this is huge. This is worth getting up early to come to church for. With God, there is always a next step toward him. Even if you've taken a long journey away from God, God will always direct your step. Do you remember the first generation of GPS systems? And you make a wrong turn, what's the word that the GPS system always says? Recalculating. And that's what God does. You know, many times we take a wrong step, we get a wrong relationship, or we take a wrong move, or we get in the wrong attitude, and then God will determine our steps back toward where he was. So that's the thing. God determines the steps of the people who are with him. So if you're having to go through a desert right now, this is really important. Because you're trying to sort out what you should do next. God will always give you the next step. Now the third thing is going to sound contradictory to that. But just hang with me for a moment. We're going now to the book of Job for this third book. And Job is going to say something before the verse that we're going to look at. See, Job, is he's in a desert. In fact, he's probably in the biggest desert any human ever got into. A protracted period of time where things aren't going to get any better, and he's trying to sort out God's purpose. So here's what Job will say before our verse that we're going to look at. He'll say, I stepped to the east, and I can't find God. And I stepped to the west, and I can't find God. And I stepped to the south, and I can't find God. So by process of elimination, Job finally figures out God must be to the north. So he steps to the north, and he said, you know what? God's not there either. I want to talk to every serious Christian here, every serious Christian. The old timers back in the days used to talk about the dark night of the soul. I really think that all of us will have a season where we have a hard time finding God. Why that happens, I don't know. But I want you to read what Job says after he said he tried all those different ways. Job 23, verse 9, when he is at work, I do not see him. But he knows the way I take. Number three, he knows the way. He knows the path. He knows the way I take. What Job is saying is, I'm trying to find God, and I can't find him. But you know what? He can find me. Now, if you're, you know, a lot of us at New Spring are pretty young. But those of us who have some years on us like I do, this is getting to be very precious to you. Because God not only knows our next step, he knows the entire path. For those of you who are 40 years old or 50 or 60 or even older, you know, you've had enough time to live where you can look back and you say, you know what? He did know. I didn't know. I I, I thought I was going, I I thought I was lost. I thought I was wandering in circles, but... But you know what? God had that planned all the way. I mean, I remember when I was in college, I told Mary Alice, I'll go anywhere God sends me except Kansas. And I was serious. I, and I was considering that a solemn vow before God. I will not go to Kansas. <laughs> Took me three years to even be willing to come up here and speak. And now I can't imagine living anyplace else. Because, see, here's the thing. I might not have been able to know where the next step was, but God knew the entire route. You know, there's a... <laughs> I love that line from Amazing Grace. You know that verse, the old song we used to sing? His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. 
Why will grace lead me home? Because he knows the whole route. If I'm talking to somebody here today and you feel lost, it's okay if you're God's daughter, if you're God's son, because he knows the whole route that you take. And someday it will make sense, okay? Let's talk about trouble now, because trouble, trials, and suffering are part of the Christian's life. Here's the fourth thing that we can know. The trials, suffering, and trouble of God's children don't separate us from God's love or God's plan. Um, you know... <laughs> I just think we're human enough, we have a hard time dismissing a flawed thought. And that flawed thought goes like this. Um, the pluses and minuses of my life are indications of God's mood toward me. So if things are going well for me, I'm assuming God is in a good mood toward me. And if I'm having problems or I'm suffering, going through difficulty, then God must be in a bad mood toward me. And, 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 and even though we may not believe that theologically, I think it's just part of us. If you, if you saw me on a good week and everything's great and I feel good and I got health and got money to pay my bills and kids and grandkids doing okay and the church is doing great and you came to me and you said, well, Mark, how are you doing? Oh, God's really blessing. But man, I had a week last week where it just seemed like everything went wrong. I mean, I, I mean let me tell you one question you never ask. What else can go wrong? <laughs> never ask that question. <laughs> I was just, it was just quirky stuff. You know what? It's hard to think about, wow, God is really blessing me. But scripture tells us that suffering, trials, and difficulties do not separate us from God's love. And by extension, it does not separate us from God's plan. Paul has asked a question in Romans chapter 8. He said, can anything separate us from the love of God? Look at his answer. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, every once in a while we hear about somebody suffering and maybe someone who doesn't believe in God will say, well, where's your God right now? But you know what? When you open the Bible, you'll discover that God's people always went through difficult times. Call the roll. I mean, Job, Daniel, David, Esther, Joseph, Mary. Just look at all these people. They went through difficult times, and yet nothing ever separated them from God's love and God's plan. I could be talking to somebody, and you're in a desert just like Joshua. You're having to wander around in circles. It wasn't your fault. It was somebody else's choice. And now you're wandering in the desert of divorce. You're wandering in the desert of, of illness. You're wandering in the desert of career downturn. What can you know? All that difficulty and suffering is not going to separate you from God's love, and it will not stop God's plan from coming true in your life. All right, let's stay on this subject of suffering. This one is huge. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal in us later. Now, here's number five. The trouble we experience today is nothing compared to what God is going to do. Let me go back into that verse. I want to unpack it for you. What we suffer now, and a lot of you can go ahead and plug that module in right there. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory. Now, I've got to tell you this. Even though I've been preaching for 44 years, I still have a difficult time defining the word glory. It's a very difficult word. Let me tell you why. It just simply means to the stuff that only God can be and the stuff that only God can do. You understand why a human would have a hard time defining that? 
That's what glory means. Remember this. It's the stuff that only God can be, and it's the stuff that only God can do. So now, what is the Bible saying to us? It's saying what we suffer now is nothing compared to the stuff that only God can be and only God can do in your life that he will reveal to us later. Later. The word reveal is one of my favorite words in the Greek language. It's the word apo kolema. It means apo, the prefix means away, and kolema means to unveil. In other words, God is saying right now your future, if you're wandering around in the desert, your future can be covered up. But what you're suffering right now is nothing compared to what God is going to be in your future and what God is going to do in your future. And someday he's going to jerk the cover off of that and show you what he's been doing in your life all along. That is great to me. Now, number six, this is one that you will almost never hear preached in church because it sounds strange. In fact, in my study yesterday, when I was getting ready for the Saturday services, I looked at 25 commentaries. These are great intellectuals have said about the Bible, and not a single one of them would touch this next verse. But I don't have any good sense. You know that. I'm going to go ahead and touch it. Look at this. All right, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they, okay, with that, the antecedent there, they, that's troubles, the troubles that you have, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Now, I'll tell you why. A lot of guys will stay away from that. A lot of teachers will stay away from that. It says our troubles actually produce something. A lot of people don't want to take that. They're just like, well, I don't see how my troubles can produce something. Hey, let me just ask you a question. All of you who are parents, you're going to get this real quick. You got a kid, and <laughs> one of my sons, I got to tell you this. One of my sons, he's 34 years old, but he keeps a shoebox, still has it, of things I bought for him when he was sick. He just, you know, caught something, and he's in bed, and I'm at work. And, uh, and I did this with all three of my kids, but, but Jared's real sentimental. And I'd, I'd go buy him a toy, and I'd come sit on this bed in his room and say, son, I, I know you don't feel very good, but I bought you something here today. And, you know, <laughs> he, he, was, he, was a, he was an adult one day, and he took out that shoebox, and he had every one of those things I'd given him. Now, I, I didn't give them to him because he had accomplished something. I just gave them to him because I was... Sad he was going through difficult times. His troubles worked for him. See? Oh, that's how your heavenly father feels about you. He looks down and he sees you crying. He sees you hurting. And God says, I'm going to do something for him. I'm going to do something for him. I don't know why preachers stay away from that. I tell you, I like that, don't you? Our troubles are working. Wow. Well, got to school. Um, here's number seven. When you're going through a desert and you ask yourself, how am I going to keep going? What's really cool about this is God doesn't say, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to meet you at the end. When you get through with the desert, I'll be there at the finish line. That'd be okay. But that's not what he says. The Bible tells us he goes with us through the desert. See, he will go with you through the cancer. He will go with you through the divorce. Oh, my goodness. This is one that will test that. We lost a couple of our precious children at New Spring this week. One to a tragic accident. One to sudden illness. 
I just don't know that anything can be tougher than that. But I was talking to the dad of one of those children after the service last night. And even in the midst of their crisis, they know that God is going with them. Let me give you some verses. This is big. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But first of all, I want to ask how many of you are, you know, you know, again, don't raise your hand. How many of you are like me and you deal with an anxiety disorder or you deal with, with anxieties that are very heavy? If you do, the presence of God is going to really be important to you. If you ever, if you ever deal with anxieties or you deal with ADD or anything like that where you really struggle, um, you need to keep Joshua 1.9 before you all the time. Here we go. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. This is our boy. We talked about Joshua. Do not be afraid, afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now God says to Joshua two things I don't want you to do. Now the first word afraid in the Hebrew it means harassed. If you deal with anxieties like I do you know that is exactly what anxieties do to you. They harass you. Whether they're realistic concerns or non-realistic concerns Anxieties have a way of harassing you. Well, what happens if you get harassed to the point that you can't go on anymore? I've been there. You break down. You just, you just fall under the weight of the fears. That is exactly what God is saying to Joshua in the Hebrew. He's saying, Joshua, don't let your fears harass you and don't let them break you down because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, some people will go with you to some places, but they will leave you when you go to a difficult place. Or sometimes people will have to leave you because you're going where only you can go. I remember the first, and actually the only time I had surgery, I guess, I can still remember, you know, there, was, there were friends who came up to see me and family, and they were in the room, but then there, the time came when the, they said, well, we're gonna take you back to surgery, and Mary Alice stayed with me for a good while back in the surgery holding, and then there came the moment where they had to wheel me past those doors and I waved goodbye to Mary Alice, you know? How many of you have been there? You know what I'm saying? Well, here's the thing. When they take you past those doors, God can still go with you. He said, I'll go with you wherever you go. Don't be harassed by your fears. Don't break down under them. Oh, my goodness, I've got one minute. All right. Now let me talk to those of you who deal with depression. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, the Bible says, do not be afraid. That means dread. It's very close to the word depression. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. Now, that's a beautiful Hebrew word there. It means to stare blankly. You ever see a little kid at the mall who's lost his mom? And you see that look on his face, I mean, that, that, that blank stare of looking to see if mom is anywhere. That's what God is saying. God said, don't fill your life with dread and don't stare as though I'm not there. God says three things he promises he will do. I wish I had time to preach these. He said, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up. Those are three levels of God's help in your life. Because there's going to be some stuff in your life that you're just going to be responsible to do. And God holds you responsible. It's, it's up to you. You know? Um, and so God says, you know what? For those things, I will strengthen you. I'll give you the strength to do that. But what if you get into a scenario where you can do everything you can do and it's not enough? God says, I will come along and I will help you. You and I will do it together. But how many of you have been to a place where there's anything you could do? And God said, when you get to one of those places, I'll just pick you up and carry you. Wow, that's the presence of God. Well, oh, good night. I am out of time, and now I'm going to give you the biggest of them all. There is a verse in the book of Romans chapter 8 that says, and we know that in all things God works for good, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, guys, we're at ground zero right now of reasons versus purpose. 
God is saying to you three things. In all things, God works for good. Let me tell you what that verse does not say. It does not say all things are good. It says, in all things, God works for good. The all things can be bad. So if you think about the all things, that's like all the stuff in your life. All the stuff that you do, all the stuff people do, all the things that happen to you, all the issues with your health, all the issues with your mental health, just everything in your life. That's the all things. And here's the thing. Everybody's got an all things. If you're a committed non-theist, you got in all things. If you're a committed follower of Jesus, you got in all things. I mean, there's bad stuff that happens to all of us. So here's the thing. In that all things is a whole bunch of bad stuff because we live in a broken world. But God says, in all things, God works. Listen, how many of you got a situation in your life that's so heartbreaking, you look at it and you say, I don't see how anything good can come out of this. I've been there. And you know what? I mean, technically speaking, you're right. I mean, I think about the grief and the heartbreak and the sorrow and the, and the abandonment that so many of our people go through. And honestly, if I was just looking on it prima facie, I would have to say, nothing good can come out of this. But that's because I'm looking at the things. See, I'm looking at the pile of things trying to sort out what I can put together out of all this junk. But the Bible says, in all things, God works. Doesn't say God's the reason for the things, just in all the things God works. In the bad stuff in your life today that you can't see how anything good's gonna come out of it, let me tell you what good will come out of it. God will roll up his sleeves and step into your dysfunction and he will begin to work. In all things God works. And now the third thing, for good. You know, here's the deal God doesn't work for bad in anybody's life who loves him. There's bad stuff, but it's not from God. God steps into it and he works for good. Share with you, I've shared with you many times what happened to me seven years ago when I just collapsed. Do you know what? There are so many doors that God has opened because of that. I could keep you here for the next six hours telling you the door. I mean, for one thing, those women in the prison are going to have that book I wrote on the darkest day of my life. Why? Because in all things, God works for good. You know what? I don't have time. I'm three minutes over time, but I got to tell you this. The Bible says, he works for good for those who love him. Do you realize that you can't do anything in that verse except love God? Well, we left old Joshua in the desert, didn't we? He's wandering in circles. It's not his fault. 40 years. You know, I, I need to tell you two huge things in amount of time. Can I just tell you two things? There's a great verse in Joshua chapter 1. I love this. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the time has come for you. For all of you who are going through a difficult season, someday, even though you've gone through miles of bad road, God is going to step forward and he's going to say, the time has come for you. Now, I get the feeling Joshua is about 65. See, there are some of you, a few of you here at New Spring, 65 years old, and you may think, well, I'm about finished here. <laughs> no, Joshua just get started. He will lead Israel in the only era of time where they serve God completely. He will lead Israel to its greatest spiritual day. Now, the second thing I want to share with you, and this is, I hope this is just sort of the summation of what God does in the lives of his children who have to go through a protracted period of difficulty. The second time we see Joshua is at the end of his life. He's an elderly man now. 
He's been through the desert. He's been through the conquering of Canaan. They've gone across the Jordan. The walls of Jericho have fallen down. Everybody's settled. It's great land. People have got their inheritance. It's been a glorious time. But now Joshua's getting to the end of his life, and he wants to challenge the people to be faithful to God, just like I'm trying to challenge you today. And you know, if you know the Bible, Joshua's going to say stuff like, you, you know, it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and that kind of thing. But my favorite verse in Joshua is Joshua 23, 14. My daddy died four years ago, and it was like God blocked me out of every other verse in the Bible. It was the only verse I could think of, so I put it in my dad's memorial folder. Joshua 23, 14. Joshua was getting at the end of his life, and he said, deep in your hearts, you know that every one of his promises have come true. And you know, I tell you what, I've been through some deserts, and I've got some scars, and I've taken some wrong steps, and I got off the path, but God recalculated me and put me back on the path. And even though I've gone through some difficult times and some hurt times and some times when I wasn't suicidal, but I actually prayed, God, if you won't let me wake up in the morning, I'll count it a personal favor. I remember praying that prayer many times in a very difficult season in our church years ago. I just turned 61 this week, but I can tell you, deep in my heart, where I really live, deep in my heart, I can tell you, not one of his promises have failed to come through. That's why I don't fear the desert. Thank you for being here. God bless you.